I'm Heidi Zuckerman, and this is Conversations About Art. I've spent my life connecting people to art to make their lives better. This podcast talks about art in contemporary culture and why we should care. Each episode is an impactful conversation with people I find interesting and think you will too about their life, values, and always about why they think art matters. This is Conversations About Art. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in today. My guest is Ella Fontenelle Cisneros. She is a philanthropist, an entrepreneur, and a collector of contemporary art. Her collection has more than 2,500 objects in it, and it is international in its profile, and it does have a focus on the major and emblematic figures of modern and contemporary art with a focus on Latin America. She is also the co-founder of CIFO, which is a nonprofit organization that fosters cultural exchange and enrichment in the arts. These new generations are not my children's generation, not even that, my grandchildren's generation, are going to love art in a different way. They want to be interactive, they want to have interaction with the artist, but also with what they create. We have to open our eyes and our hearts to a change, to a change that is occurring and that is going to be mainstream eventually, because generations, new generations are different and they want different kind of art. I love this conversation. I love how thoughtful she is. I love how generous she is. And I feel so honored to have spent this hour with her. I'd love to start off by asking you about how you found your way to art. Uh, It's very interesting because uh, as a young girl, I wanted to be an artist. Mm. So I started taking classes, et cetera. Then I moved to Venezuela. Things changed in my life and in my family's life after the exile from Cuba, and I I left it like that, and I ended up being something else. But on the way, art was always around me, one way or the other. I had a friend at that time who I was 20 years old, and he asked me, why don't we open an art gallery? And I I went, wow, that's great. You know, it's close to to my house, to what I want to do. So we did, and we opened a, a gallery in the 70s, and I started buying art as something that was good and that I love, and etc. But in reality, it wasn't like collecting or anything. It was like part of me, part of what I like, you know, beauty and art and artists. And that's how I, I really started collecting. And many years after that, somebody came to me and said, oh, you're a collector. And suddenly I realized that without me really wanting to do so, I was a collector. It wasn't something really organic in my life. It wasn't like on purpose or something that I really thought about. There's so many things that happen in our lives that when you look back or when someone else is looking at them, they seem intentional, they seem specific. And oftentimes they're not while they're happening. Right. And life, you know, takes us through different paths. You know, it changes so much and everything changes, you know, and that's so fast that without even us noticing, you're, you're sometimes in front of, of situations and things that uh, are just meant to be not planned or nothing. They're just 
meant to be. They're there. When you were an art student, what kind of what kind of work did you make? You know, I was like 12 years old when I started okay. taking classes, and I, I, it, it wasn't really. I love drawing, so I was in school all the time, drawing, 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 even in, you know, math classes or whatever. And my mother sometimes realized, well, this girl wants to, to be an artist, let's, you know, put her to take classes. So I never really went into art art school or anything. You know, I just started drawing classes and painting. And then I moved to Venezuela and Life changed for all of us. We were in exile, so it was different. And uh, I had to do some some other things, different to what I thought I was going to do. I ended up doing business, which there were not in my plan. It was not in my plan to be a business person. Mostly, you know, I thought I was going to be an artist. I was drawn by not only visual art, but also, you know, theater and music and all that had to do with art. Talk, if you would, about some relationships that you've had with artists over over your life and, and some of the, the people that you feel most connected to. Like everything in life, you know, we're talking about spontaneity and things that happen spontaneously. I was in the late 70s, 80s, the beginning of the 80s, living in New York or staying a lot in New York. So I had a chance to to be with Andy Warhol and Basquiat and all these people. I was younger, younger than them at that time. I always say that at that time, you know, Andy's right hand tried to ask me why didn't I do a photo, a portrait. Mm. And I thought, well, you know, I, I couldn't understand very well, you know, that kind of art. And I, I, I started saying, well, let's see, and, and you know, months passed by, and, and again he asked me, and again he asked me, and I ended up buying a piece from Warhol, but not doing the, the portrait, which I now regret a lot. But people like that went into my life, you know, at first as, as something that happened because of, you know, other relationships or whatever, no? It was... Later in life, after I did, uh, I started the foundation that I was really very much in contact with the artists in general, much more than the years before in which I met a lot of artists. But I was too young and I didn't, I was not too much into, you know, leaving the art with the artist. But later on in life, of course, I stopped collecting from the year 88 till around 96 because I was. You know, I, I, I was trying to do other things, philanthropy, but in different ways at the UN uh, uh, in Venezuela, you know, trying to help kids on the streets and, and trying to, to make connectivity inside the United Nations so that people could be more closer together. So after 96, I came back, I realized that I, I you know, I could do the same philanthropy within something that I had so much passion, you know, who was the arts. So I started at that moment the foundation and I started collecting more globally. So in that that year, I really started to, to get very close to artists through the foundation. You know, I remember our first programs were a residency program and we have Saraceno with us and, and then Brazilian artists who were living right there with us in, in Miami. 
And I thought, wow, this is going to be very difficult because being with artists, you know, these are all genius but crazy people. Before we changed the program to, you know, grants and commissions and all of that, I had the opportunity of really starting to understand art in a different way, a social and even humanitarian thing, because art touches our, our lives in so many ways. You know, the artists also are people who make us think, you know, and for me was a very interesting and good period of time when we started all of that. I had the chance of of being close to how they were creating art and why and their lives. And it became very interesting. And I always say that it's a process, you know, the artists have their process, but we as collector of uh, me as a person uh, has been very interesting the past, much more than collecting or anything else, you know, that Human touch, that uh, interaction with artists have really changed and touched my life in many ways. Yeah, that's how I feel too. And you touched on how some people are as artists and are are kind of known in the broad social construct of artists as, you know, being a little crazy or a little wild or, and also simultaneously genius. And what we learn over time is, is that artists are people, right? And everyone has their own personality, idiosyncrasies, you know, loves, desires, hopes, and what a blessing it is for us to, to be able to have this kind of access and, and these relationships. Right. And, you know, so, so many times, even young people, they ask, they ask me, oh, how, what do you suggest or how do you suggest we should start, you know, collecting? And I always say, start with artists of your own age and your own generation because you will have the opportunity of growing with them. And that's a very interesting process when you collect, and not only collect, but you are within the processing and participating in their growth, you know, in your own growth, but with them. I think that's that's very important also, that you have the, well, at least for me, you know, it has been very important to participate with the artists on the way, on collecting. Because it's not the possession, the possession. We always say, you know, we keep what we have until what time when we leave. When we leave, then, you know, what happens to that art goes to another person, goes to another institution. And you go with what you have learned, what you have really experienced, much more than, you know, the collecting, the possession part of it. It's so interesting to to talk about the reality, I guess, of mortality and the experience that we choose to have while we're here and what we choose to surround ourselves with and who we choose to surround ourselves with. So your acknowledgement of that temporality, I think, is is very elegant. It is. <laughs> I, I lent all the work that I own. I, I lent to all institutions and, and exhibitions, etc. because I always think, you know, I have all this work who means something in my life because they have been part of who I was at certain times, at certain periods of time, and are the process that I had, you know, when I bought it, how I bought it, if the art was there or not, or the galleries or, or the experience or what happened after that. It's all related to experiencing hum- humanity. You no, know? it's all related to like you say, what we choose to have here, which the path that we want to walk 
you know? And for me, it has been, I, I wouldn't change anything. It has been wonderful, really. Also for me, when, when I started the foundation in 2002, I came from an experience, you know, for seven or eight years, I was looking into, you know, I was trying to see who I was in this world and spiritually how everything in my life was happening. I was questioning myself lots of things about life, about who I was. So I stopped collecting because at that moment I thought with also so many problems there's in the world, many problems in Venezuela, in the wars and all of this, you know, I thought, well, maybe this is too elitesque or too too much for who I want to be at that moment. So all those years I stopped. When I came back United States after all this experience, I thought, well, philanthropy can mean many things and I can do philanthropy with something that I really love on art and my experience that I've, you know, that I've been collecting all these years can go and be passed into this new version of me and come back to what I love, which is what I have passion for, which is the arts. When I started that, and when I started the collection, it did open a new window for me because art can really change things to change humanity, people can really be a tool that you can use to make people happier, to make people understand many things in life. For me, it was a big change at that moment, and which I, I really appreciate that I have been able to do that, you know, and to change my philanthropy. I decided to help Latin Americans also because those were the people that needed the most. At that time, they were, you know, on the global exchange, they were kind of left behind. They didn't have the same opportunities. So through the foundation, I was able to open many doors to many of these artists. You just made reference to thinking about these larger life questions, including your relationship with spirituality. And and you indicated that when you were thinking about that, that you kind of took a break from art and then, and that you came back to art with some, some realizations or, or some time. And I, I'm very interested in the connection between art and spirituality, which I find not necessarily in a, a didactic way, but in a, in a very open and um, personal way. And I wonder if you might speak a little bit about that for yourself. When an artist is making art, some way he's connected to a much more higher wave of intelligence, I guess. Let's call it like that. Because uh, when I started collecting, I was very much interested in, you know, the old paintings and, you know, what was already sure and visually there. And then through times, you know, I went into loving abstraction and, when I look at that, I can understand and see where that information was coming from. You know, an artist has to be somewhere, even if they don't know or they don't understand it, they are connected to a different kind of inspirational level in which many of us are not, or maybe, you no. Know, but I, I can see and talk to an artist and they suddenly tell you, well, I don't know what I was doing. It just came through, you know, it was there. 
And it came from somewhere. Is that knowledge? It's like when they ask me, how do you know that a painting is, is going to be great or that the artist is going to be famous or good? Or, I said, it's nothing that I, I think about or that I rationally process through my mind. I look at it and it's a feeling. It's, it's something that tells me inside, this is good or this, this artist is connected or this is something that has value. I don't know how to tell you. It's difficult to talk about these things because they're, they're so abstract and not tangible that are dif- difficult to explain. But it's like you connect to the same wave of length of thinking or of feeling of the artist. And it happens to me that sometimes I stand in front of a painting and I cry. Yes. I can't understand why I'm crying. Is the art that is moving me? Is the expression of the artist that is there captive in the in the picture in the in the moment of the art i myself think that of course art is very connected to spirituality and it's very connected to something that is bigger than us you know that information that flows in the air and that these artists are able to connect to that to that way very very much I do think so. My my experiences with a lot of artists takes me to that those understanding, no? And I know these yeah. are these are complicated questions, they're complicated feelings. And yet when you speak to anyone who spends time with works of art and has done so for an extended period of time, everyone knows this feeling. Everyone has experienced it and some people more often than others and some people have you know more eloquence about the description than than others and and you did an amazing job of of describing the experience and i think it's so important to ask these questions and to share these stories because people hear things differently from different people you never know like whose description is is going to be the one that gives someone the aha moment like oh yeah i i get it i get it through the program when we started the foundation and through the program of grants and commission i was able to talk to a lot of artists because we give different levels of of awards you know mid career emerging artists and I was trying to understand if somebody that is an accomplished artist would start a work. Why are they so many, many artists? And one is very fluent and, and, you know, have a lot of success and others are good, but they don't. What was the link in between, you know, all these people trying to do art, but in different levels and what united them? And my experience through talking to many of the artists and, and trying to understand and analyze all of this was that they were all starting from the same point. And let's call it spiritual. Some of them, they don't understand it comes from that area and to talk about it as inspiration or something similar. But in reality, they all had a moment in which silence was important in which music was important, into nature was important. And all of these things, when you look at them plainly, they all connect you to God or to 
a much more higher experience than the human experience right here. For me, all of these little things have really created, I am very curious and I wanted very much to understand, you know, the processes of the artists and, and the movements and all of this. There is so much in common that me, even me, maybe you know the artists don't even realize. You've had, I mean, you've had the experience of of talking to many artists through your exhibitions and all of that. Yes. I don't know if your experience is similar to mine, but very similar, very similar. And actually, in in Aspen, we created a program where we would invite people to come and spend time in nature and to spend time in meditation and to spend time in silence and to really explore the connection between those elements and and art. And for me, you know, the connection also to spirituality or God or how people understand that concept. I believe in the transcendent aspect of art and the opportunity to bring people to that feeling you know, you can't dictate it, you can't prescribe it, and you can create a situation where it has the possibility of occurring. And it's something that is so ephemeral. It's not something you can touch or put a label into it, you know, but it's there and you know it's there. Absolutely. So to move from, from the abstract to the tangible, I'd love to have you talk about some of the works in in your collection. And and if you would be comfortable, I'd I'd love to ask you what you bought first and and maybe what you've bought last. Well, you know, I started with, I think that all collectors immediately, we start with figurative art and something that we can relate to Mm -hmm. directly, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's how I started. I started with Latin America because it was close to me. It was close to what I, I started collecting first Venezuelan art and I started traveling with my husband through Latin America. So I started with Latin American paintings. And, and you go for the something that is sure, you know, something that somebody is telling you, this is good, and look at it. And you say, okay, yes. And then suddenly, many years ago, in the 80s, I was at the FIAC in Paris. One day, I was trying to buy a painting from Soto, which I had seen, you know, in many ways. But I wanted something with color. And a friend of mine takes me to see a Soto inside the FIAC. But it was like a bunch of, uh, of wires all twisted. And, you know, it wasn't at all what I was thinking about. But there was something there which was telling me there is something behind this that attracts me. And I don't know why. I don't understand this. I don't understand anything where it's coming from, etc. Where I ended up buying it because it touched my heart one way or another. After that, for me, that was like the start of a new pathway to art. It does fascinate me, the idea of this abstraction or this cinetic art also. It changed the way I was looking at art or feeling about art. I ended up selling a lot of what I had at that moment, I had bought at that moment, and started a different thing. Started collecting Latin America construct constructive art and cinetic art, all the way till the 96, 98, that was mainly the collection. Mm. 
And then I started, I came back from my trip, spiritual trip, and I started going to the fairs. And I started relating to other kinds of art, more conceptual art. And for me, I have to say that each way or each part of the collection is reflected to what I wanted to investigate. Mm-hmm. You know, I started looking at conceptual art and I said, I want to understand this from the beginning, you know, from the historic part of view until today. And so I started collecting historic pieces from, from that period. And, and uh, there was a time when I wanted only photography. I don't know why I was fascinated by the media and the photography. And I collected for a few years only photography but always having something that I wanted to investigate, understand, that attracted me. For example, in, in 2005, I made a research on what the photographers in Latin America were doing during the modernist period. And I went also to Latin America looking for photographers. At that time, the photographers were not really artists, although they did a lot of abstraction, you know, in photography and experimentation with, with photography. And I found all of these photographers in Brazil, in, in Venezuela, some, mostly in between Brazil and Argentina. And I bought, you know, a lot of this photography because it, it was interesting and I liked the period and I liked what I was trying to, to look for and research. And I started doing exhibitions in which, from that period, in which I started including the photographers. And I mean, it's been nice to look back. And at that time, nobody was very interested in that. And suddenly, you know, people were saying, I'm interested in in going this way too. And I gave photography to Tate and to all other institutions. And now, thanks God, it's being mainstream right now. But... Things like that, I am very much interested. I started with, with the, the research on uh, conceptual art, and one of the directors of one of the museums told me, Ella, this is not for a collector. This is the work for a museum. And I, I went like, well, maybe what I like is that, the pathway, the understanding, the research, maybe, you know, through the collection, maybe that's, this is not going to be something like you say that is a collector's uh, Part, but I like that. I like that. I like the research and, and many changes in the collection have occurred because of that interest. So the collection has many different, different aspects. You've kind of talked around this idea, but I haven't asked you specifically why you think art matters. Uh, well, I always say that if we look around our lives, our daily lives, art is everywhere. There is someone who designed the plates we eat or the glasses or the pen we write with or the computer, anything, a book, you know, a pot. Art is really surrounding us every single day of our lives. And if we are aware, I think that if you have your now, here, now, and you have eyes for what surrounds you and for what is in your life, you can understand that that is influencing us, our daily lives. If you eat in a beautiful China where you're happier than if you are probably eating in a, in a plastic plate or something. So, and, and things like that influence our lives. In our daily lives, 
without even us noticing it. So art matters because art is there in our daily lives, in everything you see, in the colors of the flowers, in everything. Art is part of our lives. You referenced you referenced starting your foundation. I don't know if you would talk a little bit more about why you originally started the foundation and then a few of the new initiatives that, that you have, the new partnership collaboration with Arts Electronica, the major project that you're working on in the in the digital sphere. Well, you know, during the pandemic, it was kind of uh, difficult for us to do all the programs that we have with the foundation. We always do these awards and these awards, we bring the Latin Americans, all these artists that, you know, win the, the our awards into an exhibition, mostly was in the United States in our program, in our site that we had in Miami for 20 years, almost 20 years. And then for reasons that I was trying to collaborating with the government of Spain into opening a Latin American museum in, in Spain, and, and that's why we closed our venue in Miami. But aside from what happens afterwards or all of that, when the pandemic was really we were doing all of these exhibitions now in different museums. We're collaborating with different museums and bringing the awards and the awardees to the exhi- this exhibition because we couldn't do it because the museums were closed and they were doing, you know, restructuring their programs, etc. We decided, well, why don't we do, you know, digital art? Try let's try to find what is happening in this realm, you know, in Latin America. And we have in our board, an artist that I respect very much, Lozano Hemmer, Rafael Lozano Hemmer, who is an artist that works with technology and media. He's always asking me, why don't we have more artists come to the foundation in this area and so forth. So I spoke with him and say, Rafael, let's try to see what is happening in Latin America with this and let's do an award, and he was the one who thought, well, the people who knows more about this are Ars Electronica, the festival is 40 years old, and you should meet with them. So I went and I, I, I met with everybody there, and um, we decided to create an award called C4 Ars Electronica, and to start this new year's awards only with technology, which we have, and we're going to open this exhibition in September during the festival in Linz in Austria. And this year was very surprising for me that all the awardees and all the winners were women, which wow. I thought yeah. that you know technology and you know an art and technology and all of that is usually men-driven, you know, it's it's not so easy to but to but in Latin America is has been changed. And you know that our, our awards are given very transparently. We don't choose the winners. We have a board of curators, and those board of curators are the ones who propose the artists and then look through. We also thought, well, maybe we're going to re- receive 100 artists and another 100 projects, and we received almost 300 projects. Wow. What surprisingly for us, because of course, for Latin Americans, it's very difficult. It's, it's not cheap to create, to work with technology. In some places, it's even harder to find the internet and so forth. So it was a surprise for, for us and for me too, 
to find that all these women were making all this wonderful art with the technology and new media, etc. So this year we're gonna it's gonna be our first year, and we are going to continue afterwards with this award, you know, C for Electronic Awards through Latin America. That has been very interesting also because I was involved during the pandemic. I was involved with a lot of the new media and all because we have to be home and, and we didn't have the opportunity of being out and, and doing other things. So for me, that period was very fruitful because I was able to understand more the technology, to work with the new media, new artists. A lot of the things that happen is going to be Interesting also because through that process, I understood that this new generation, are not my children's generation, not even that, my grandchildren's generation, are going to love art in a different way. They want to be interactive. They want to have interaction with the artists, but also with what they create. You know, we have to open, even if we haven't uh, really lived through these processes, which, you know, our grandchildren have were born with that in their hands, you know, with the computer and technology in their hands. We have to open our eyes and our hearts to a change, to a change that is occurring and that is going to be mainstream eventually because generations, new generations are different and they want different kind of art. Yeah. How do you respond to change in general as a person? How does it, how does it feel to you? For me, I don't know, I have always been a person with uh, no problem on making changes and adapting to new versions of everything. As a matter of fact, I look forward to that. You know, I, I was even in, in the years, in, in the beginning of the 90s, I was trying, 80s and 90s, I was trying to invent the internet. You know, I was always looking for beyond you know, the, the common beyond what's going to happen, what's next, what's the future like. So for me, it has been no problem making the changes. And I see it as an adventure and something I look forward to, really. Yeah, me too. Me too. When you talk and you reference the, the future now, and certainly this initiative that, that we were just talking about is, is very forward thinking and very much about the future and, and legacy and the next generation. I'm curious, you know, what other things you're, you're looking forward to? What other things you're thinking about as you think about the notion of legacy? You referenced your kids and your grandkids. Right. Well, right now, and in the last five or six years, I, I mean, I'm not getting any younger. I'm getting older. And well, thinking, by the way, so is everyone. <laughs> <laughs> thinking really, what's going to happen with all this art? So I've been sitting with my grandchildren and my daughters. Two of my daughters are collectors. One collects only women and the other one collects general everything. Started with photography many years ago. But my grandchildren... Only one really is doing uh, art history. And the other ones, they like art, but they're not into, to, as I, you know, as me, as it's a passion. Even my daughters, we love art also. They're telling me, I don't know, mom, if we are going to follow your steps and do all of these things that you've been doing with passion and all of that. So I am starting to think, you know, all oh, these, you know, warehouse full of art and, 
what I'm going to do with this and how I see everything that I have for the future, for the future generations. I'm really looking into many of the cities in Spain have been calling me to try to open museums. And uh, I mean, always, you know, has to do with politics and all of that, which I really don't want to get involved by what seven years working with the government in Spain. And <laughs> that's not looking, something I look forward to. But of course, I will have to take some decisions in the, the next year because I don't want to leave a big problem in the hands of my my daughters. I want them to, whatever they decide to do is fine. And I would love them to have art in their lives, but the way they wanted to. Maybe they are not, it's not going to be like me. Like, you know, I don't, I live through all of this from the morning till night, every single day of my life. And for them, I don't think that's going to be that way. So this has to, to I have to really start thinking what I'm going to do with, with all of this. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy. Because when, even if you have a foundation, I cannot leave the foundation. Of course, the foundation will continue to be there because that's something that I will provide and I want that to happen. But the, co- the collection part is, is kind of difficult because two warehouses and people working in the warehouse for my people. And, you know, the way I keep my art, I always think that we are, we need, we have, if you're a collector, you have part of what you need to do is to keep the art correctly. So we have lots of people in the warehouse looking into what we have and then what we have to sort of retouch or it's work. It's work. It's a lot of work. I'm going to you know, have to take a, a decision what to do. I've asked a lot of collectors, what do you think? What do you, you know, how would you look into the future? I thought that maybe the problem with museums is that museums tend to have a lot and keep a lot in their warehouses. Yeah. You know, I'm against giving a lot of works to a museum and then keep it in the warehouse. If that's the case, then I'll keep it in my own or I give it away. Or Because in reality, what the people or the you know, next generations need to see works. And if you look at all these museums, the big, huge museum they have, thousands and thousands of work. I asked one day to uh, Tate, to Sir Nicholas, one day I said, well, how many works does Tate has? At that time it was 248,000 pieces or something like that. And what is the rotation of that art? Well, we have things that in 50 years have never seen the light. Yes. And then you have all the museums that have nothing. You know, it's kind of a, a blurry vision of the future. You reference the political challenges of, of working in certain countries. And you started our conversation by talking about the need to be in, in exile, right? And, and, and leaving a country. So there's the politics of institutions, but then there's also the personality of institutions. And, and certainly whoever is, is running the institution has a, a huge, a huge factor on, on the program and and how well an institution is run as as well. That's true. You know, one for example decision I I was thinking on giving the Met 
some of my work because I thought, well, if you can, you know, hang 50 works, I'll give you three times that so that you can exchange the works, etc. But then suddenly they decided that Latin America is going to be maybe in a place that they are going to put all modernist artists. And I went like, you know, I cannot understand this. It's Latin Americans is an ethnic group being inside the United States that are more than 60 million people and it's growing. So how come an institution like the Met doesn't think that if you have Mesopotamia and you have Egypt and you have others like that, not to have a place, a special place for Latin America, for example, in which, you know, your contiguous thing around the museum has been and it's been uh, very much Latin America. Americans who become Americans, but they are from Latin descent. And things like that, which, you know, have to do also with the decisions on who drives the museum now and, and what are the likes or what the people that direct the museum think. So what should be done or not? It's, it's very personal, I guess. We, you, as a collector, me, uh, you stay for many years collecting and, uh, you know, experiencing each. For me, I can tell my registrar, he calls me and says, you know, this piece, which, you know, was hidden, and I, and I don't know, and I can't remember where I bought it, how I paid, what I paid for it, because it's very personal. Yes. It's mine. Yes. And then... You go into a museum, and yes, it's personal, personal taste, personal decisions from the top, but with other things in mind. I don't know, you have to think about uh, also about the future. Why don't we take, for example, some of those museums that have so much art and give it or lend it to other museums which have none or very little? But that's never going to be a decision from the top because nobody wants to take that responsibility because so it's kind of, of difficult. One of the things I love to ask people who live with art is what hangs in your bedroom? Mostly all of the things that I have are abstraction and mostly Latin American abstraction. That's what hangs in my, in mostly all of my houses is that. Very abstraction and with little color, very little color, mostly whites and blacks. Very monochromatic work, because I like that too. That's mostly what I have. I don't know about other people. I hang my own paintings in my own houses when I move. So I say, I like to see this here. Because of that, is that my, my bedrooms are mostly all filled with what I like. It's what I like the most. Yeah. A lot of white, white paintings. Yeah. I'm just imagining what those paintings are and, and what it feels like to wake up to and also fall asleep to the company of those paintings. Because they're mostly from the 60s and 50s and all of that. It has, for me, maybe a certain spiritual weight that hangs to all these years that they were made in the 50s, they were made in the 60s. Many things have happened since then, but the painting still holds that energy from those times. I don't know how to describe it, but it has to do with 
not only visually what I look at, but also what I feel like in, inside of them. It has to do with feeling. And, and that description is something that I share with people a lot, sometimes with people who haven't had the experience of, of living with works of art, I, I say, once you bring works of art into your home, it's like you have guests in there and then they transform from being guests to being friends and then from being friends to being family. And they come with their own energy and, and their own expansiveness into the space. And, and sometimes when they first enter they're they're loud, even if they're quiet works, because they, they want your attention. They want to make their presence known. And sometimes people think like, are you crazy? This is like a static object, but they're not, they're, they're, not. they're organic. Sometimes I put music in my bedroom or, you know, I sit around there and I'm reading, I stop reading or whatever. And I look around and the music opens up a whole new way of looking at, at what I have. It, it's like changing all the time, you know. The feeling changes. And I discover sometimes certain things that I, I never saw before. You know, a line or why that that edge is like that, you know. It's, it's kind of, <laughs> I don't know, interesting feeling. It's very interesting. It is. And it is there even when you walk by quickly and when you slow down and you avoid rushing and you allow time to be full, then it's even more available. And as you were describing the experience of turning on music in your bedroom and then what happens to the works, it reminded me of an experience I had in the studio of the artist Mark Grogen. And we were looking at some new paintings and we were sitting and the longer, and we weren't really talking, we were just sitting and, and looking and, and being quiet in the silence to go back to something we talked about earlier, this, the silence that is necessary for art. And the paintings opened up and they changed and we could see things that, I mean, I'll just speak for myself that I couldn't see when I, when I first came in the room. And so it's, it's like a, a bottle of wine or uh, it, it breathes. And the more attention that you give it, uh, the work of art, the more grace you show it, the more it shows you. You know, I have so many visitors, you know, during our Basel and many other times they come to the house and they want to see the collection and I walk with them and I tell them and I open and I tell them about your know, stories about when I bought this painting or do that. But it's not the same when I do that. Yes, I remember, remember what happened or, but it's not the same as when I am alone. When I am alone and I walk, like you were saying, in my house, it's like I get company. It's a different kind of company. It's a, it's a very subtle company, but that you you feel they're there. I don't know. It's, it's so difficult to explain sometimes what you feel, you know, when you see a work of art and what you, because it's feeling is, even if you talk about it, to understand that point of view from different perspective is difficult. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you would like to share with our listeners? <laughs> no, I just think that, you know, we are starting 
a new chapter in CIFO, in our foundation, and that we are looking forward to all of this new art and the way that we will put forward the opportunity to for all these artists to really look into a different way of evolving, which for Latin Americans are in one way or another difficult, costly, and etc. So we look forward to this new stage in the foundation and the new and we'll 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 see what the future brings, but I think it's gonna be all exciting. What an what an honor and privilege it is. No, to it was spend my time. pleasure, Heidi, and I thank you so much for this time and for inviting me to your program. I really appreciate it. And a kindred spirit around the power and energy and meaning of art is so special. So thank you so much for your generosity in speaking with me today. I wish you the best and I look forward to meeting you again or in person. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I really enjoyed this conversation with Ella Fontenelle Cisneros. We look forward to welcoming you back two weeks from today when my guests will be the architects and my longtime friends, Dan Wood and Amal Andros. We talk about the decision that they made to be their own boss what it's like to be both life partners and business partners, how they have shared taste, and some of their favorite buildings. I know you'll enjoy it. Conversations About Art is part of HiZ.Art, a multi-platform project that connects all to art through a podcast series, books, talks program, brand collaborations, TV, and more. This episode was mixed by Dominic Anthony Walsh. Our theme music was composed by Eric McDougall. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and review us on whichever platform you listen, as it helps us further our goal of connecting all to art. We will be back again every other Tuesday with new episodes. Thank you so much for being a part of our community.